Imagine this, it's 2008, and simply having a blog as a business was a massive competitive advantage. Ellie Meerman remembers. She was at HubSpot in 2008, and remembers experimenting with new distribution channels that seemed to be popping up every day. Facebook when it was rolled out to businesses, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. As the first marketing hire Mike Volpe made at HubSpot, Ellie helped invent the inbound marketing playbook. She ran the first inbound marketing summit, which would later become inbound in 2008. There were like 300 attendees there at the Cambridge Marriott. Everything has changed and it's all stayed the same. Ellie is CMO at Cran now, another early stage startup. And while she says the mediums and channels have all exploded, a lot of the playbooks she first employed at HubSpot a decade ago still work, just differently. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. You actually ran the first inbound, what was it called, the Inbound Summit? Inbound Marketing Summit in 2008. It changed in so many ways by the time Inbound came along that I think nobody remembers it anymore. Uh, but yeah, in 2008, we ran the Inbound Marketing Summit uh, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we had 300 people there, and we were so psyched just to see kind of Inbound in its early days uh, taking off and, and getting some traction. 300 people. Where, where was the event? Do you remember? Uh, it was at the Cambridge Marriott. Uh, so right down the street from HubSpot, and you know we didn't, Humble didn't venture too far. Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody listening that's that's running events or or even just you know growing a growing a company or a team, uh, it's it's easy going through those humble beginnings feels like it takes forever. Um, I know, like you know, sometimes I'm I'm even guilty of that. Uh, but but hearing a story like that inbound the inbound conference, which is what uh, I don't even remember what the attendance was last year, and I don't want to get it wrong. But it was at least fourteen thousand, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's if not more. So it started at three hundred, right? So, yep. so humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, did you? Could you foresee at that time? Uh, like, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to look back and say, like, yeah, the movement made sense, and it really did. But could you foresee at that time, like, okay, this is this is going to be something big? Did you have that feeling? I couldn't even imagine what that looked like. I knew that we were getting traction, we were getting this great response and that there was this need in the market, but I didn't know what that would become. Like I knew that we were growing at this insane rate and uh, everyone wanted to learn about inbound marketing and uh, there was just this huge demand, but I didn't know how that would morph and change. I mean, so many things were different at the time too, right? Social media wasn't even a thing, right? Right, was <laughs> Facebook, yeah, was, was that even open to businesses yet? Uh, in 2007? It, well, while I was at HubSpot, uh, you know, Twitter started to take off, HubSpot, uh, Facebook uh, for business started to take off. So we were early on and like, oh, right, we have to, we have to claim our right. company name on all these sites. But that was maybe 2008. It was a little bit into my time there. Right. So that, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, that's crazy to me that uh, you were like, Inbound was sort of born into this like, uh, you know, uh, where all of these channels were, were launching, maturing and all of these things. And uh, now like that sort of technology curve, at least in terms of channels has sort of 
slowed down. Now there's obviously different mediums within mm. these channels, video, audio, and all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, what, what what have you made of sort of the evolution of inbound marketing in the time sort of since you've left? Like, is it easier or harder to do now? Like, mm. like you just mentioned, Facebook, Twitter, like all these things were sort of launching around 07, 08. Um, well, not Facebook launched earlier, but open to businesses later on. Yeah. But all of these things were sort of new. It was kind of, I don't want to say easy, but to put your to, to put your flag in the ground and to develop an audience. Now there's just an arbitrage everywhere, it seems like, yeah. right? Um, which puts the focus on quality and production mm-hmm. value and all that kind of thing. But what, where, what do you see in sort of the evolution of companies maybe starting now that mm-hmm. are leveraging inbound versus maybe ones that started in 07, 08, 09, and maybe it was easier to gain traction? Or, or do I have yeah. that wrong? It, it is so different now. I think, you know, at... In those early days, just having an account on any of these platforms or same thing with content marketing, right? Just having a blog totally changed the game for you in marketing and uh, made you stand out. And now everyone has a blog, right? It's just starting up a blog is no longer an advantage. And it is so much harder, I think, to make those channels work properly. So I think it is harder. It's harder because you have to actually do not just use those channels, you actually have to do it well <laughs> and uh, compete with a lot more uh, other folks who are also on those channels and kind of cut through all that noise. Right. And audio and video wasn't really, I know HubSpot mm-hmm. did a lot of video sort of, you know, uh, later the, the Academy and, you know, there, there was certainly, and then HubSpot TV was yep. a thing, right? Um, and so there was, there was definitely video in the early days, but the way it is now, it's, yeah. it's just insane. So what are your, thoughts on sort of like the maturity of like audio and video are kind of thrown into the mix now. Mm-hmm. So content was like the huge leverage point for everybody mm-hmm. even five years ago. Now it's like, wh- where should I invest my time? Should it be, you know, all content? Should I, do I, do I launch a podcast? Do I, how much time do I put into video? What, yeah. are, how, how have you sort of thought through that? Cause you've been at, at two companies now since HubSpot mm-hmm. that were obviously, you know, at different stages. So how have you sort of thought through that? Yeah, so I think video has followed a similar path, but it's just, uh, uh, you know, maybe a year or so behind right. uh, the other channels in that, all right, the first folks who were doing video, they stood out immediately. And like when we were doing video in the early days at HubSpot, it was just us in like a video camera we bought on Amazon, uh, <laughs> because also at the time we didn't really do video on our phones, right? <laughs> so Hard to believe, yeah. Yeah, it was like I bought a tripod, <laughs> showed up at a customer a customer's office, started doing case studies myself, figuring out how to use iMovie, and now the there's so many there's so much video out there that the the bar for what's a good video is so much higher, right? So the production quality, even if you're a small startup, like even then you still right. need to be thinking about your lighting and your audio quality and all these different things that we definitely weren't thinking about at those <laughs> times. Like, yeah, we wanted it to be reasonable, but production quality was not going to be a thing that, um, you know, reflected on us poorly. But I think that now, uh, production quality definitely impacts how people see how professional your organization right. is or, uh, just the quality of your content overall. It kind of has that overflow effect. Um, so I think it's following a similar path and, um, uh, audio definitely is, I think, even a step behind that, where it's still early on. So a lot of companies aren't doing audio content yet, uh, but more and more are picking that up and trying to figure out, all right, how do we how do we stand out? Uh, and definitely choosing your content mediums and channels is a way for you to stand out. And I think 
you know, we talk about this at a macro scale, just the marketing world altogether. And I think for us, when we both of us work in MarTech generally, um, it is our world. And so we see tons of companies doing this. But other industries, even today, are not that far along. Um, so you can still stand out with something like a blog or something like video, even, uh, even if you see a lot of peers doing it, if in your industry, they haven't quite caught up right. to that. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. There's the MarTech industry is sort of so polluted <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and every, and I like to say, like you made a good point about audio. I think audio will get there when it's easier to measure and mm-hmm. it's more discoverable. Yep. I think then you'll see the arbitrage follow. I think this happens time and time again with blogging. The first people blogging were like, I don't know how many people are reading. <laughs> like they were just yeah. doing it like they enjoyed, they enjoyed the medium. They enjoyed the outlet of, of writing. Um, I think video has now sort of hit mm-hmm. that tipping point. It's, I guess, discoverability has always been sort of there with YouTube and, yep. and uh, you know, Google's acquisition of YouTube, like they serve YouTube search results. But um it's easier to measure. Uh, there's great tools for that now, but podcasts, it's like a black box. Yeah. Like you, you get nothing. Yeah. And, and you can't find, like you have, you have to go to each individual siloed. I have to go to iTunes. Or I have to go to mm-hmm. like uh, Overcast or all these individual silos to find content. And at some point there'll be, there'll be an easy way to find podcasts and they'll be more measurable. And then you'll see like arbitrage follow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Suddenly every company will have a podcast. Right. It feels like that now though, but, mm-hmm. but it's still, I think a small percentage. Um, yeah. yeah. You made a good point about first mover advantage. Mm-hmm. You, it's not that you guys weren't, it's not that HubSpot wasn't worried about quality, right? It was just like, you're, right. you're experimenting with the, with at the time, something that was a new medium or a new platform. Yep. And so those like best practices, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term, weren't even established yet. Yeah. Right? There, there was no standard. Yeah. And we were benefiting definitely from trying things ourselves and then sharing back those best practices. Right. We were right. among the first to figure those things out just through trial and error. And so because we were sharing those out, we instantly were getting so much attention because of that. It was like, you know, it was very meta. We, were, we would do a, a webinar about how to do amazing webinars, which right. <laughs> <And, laughs> was an actual content on content. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, and people just loved it because there was nothing else that was feeding that at the time. And it was just such a new channel that everyone wanted to learn about it. Yeah, you probably blogged about things that now rank number one for that thing, you know, mm-hmm. all these years. Do you ever search for something and find an article that you wrote? <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I seek it out, um, but I definitely come across a lot of HubSpot content. You know, it goes to show that, uh, yes, there's a lot of old content that still ranks because it was some of the first content on it. But, uh, you know, I was just listening to the the podcast episode that you did with Pam, uh, yeah. Pam Vaughn at, at HubSpot and how... Uh, there was a big focus and still is a big focus of kind of going back to that old content and updating it so that, all right, you are still ranking in search for a lot of these great old articles, but now when people find them, they're still up to date. Right. uh, It's on the latest information about it. Yeah. HubSpot seems to do a pretty good job of that. Every time I stumble across a piece of content at the bottom, you'll see like last updated, like I'll see like a publication date of 2012. I'm like, wow, this must be out of date. And you scroll to the bottom, it's like last updated in 2018. So they seem to stay on top of that pretty well. Um, so you've you've now you know joined you know in, in Cran. I know you, you were at Toast also after HubSpot, but in Cran um, joined a company obviously at a at an earlier stage that HubSpot was when you left. 
Mm-hmm. So what what's been that what's that transition like going from a place where like you would instantly create a blog post, it would rank. Mm-hmm. The domain authority obviously was insane at a place like HubSpot, the reach, distribution, all those things. What what's has there been an adjustment to then be at a company where it's like we need to, you know, once again, like you did mm-hmm. back in 0708, establish these channels, find out where sort of our leverage points are. What has that transition been like? Yeah. So oddly enough, despite so many things changing about the marketing landscape. Uh, a lot of my playbook has been pretty much the same at each company. And I think that it's because the playbook is much more about, all right, let's get a couple bets down. Let's get some of the basics and then we'll learn a lot from that so that we can figure out where we invest in the next phase. So what would those basics be? What do you mean by that? So we did start a blog right from the start. Uh, You know, we got a couple of conversion opportunities on the site at different stages of the funnel based on uh, kind of the classic, you know, top of the funnel educational offer, bottom of the funnel, more, you know, product demo offer just to see, all right, what sort of traction, what sort of conversions are we getting so that we could learn, all right, where do we invest next? And, you know, the same thing happened at Toast. And what you find is, um, you know, certainly what topics, what types of people come in, you learn, you're learning on the sales side, too. So you're trying to understand, you know, who are our best fit customers, and what, what do they really respond to in terms of the messaging and the content. Um, And then sometimes you find that these kind of classic top of the funnel or classic bottom of the funnel uh, offers or marketing uh, campaigns, they don't necessarily do what you expected them to do, but they might help in a different way. So, uh, you know, at Toast, again, we started the blog right from the start, and uh, we found that this thing that was classically a top of the funnel uh, marketing effort was actually much more effective in the middle of the funnel. It was really helping with nurturing, and we had to do something else at the top of the funnel. Uh, For us, we started, you know, writing a lot of content early on at Crayon, Um, and realize, all right, thought leadership is really important. It's a new industry, a lot of similarities actually to HubSpot. Um, We're trying to, uh, you know, provide educational resources. So it's kind of back to the classic top of the funnel. Um, But uh, we've definitely learned a lot about the types of posts and the types of channels that that work for us. And, um, And I think that things like the blog as a marketing channel, uh, marketing uh, effort is uh, is huge just because it works in so many different ways. It, yeah, if it doesn't work for the top of the funnel, it might work in the middle of the funnel. If it you know might work for SEO, it might work for email. It could be so many different things. It's kind of the Swiss, Swiss army knife of, right, of sure. marketing. Yeah, I, I want to dig into that a bit too, like what you've learned about the channels and how, how you've you know come across those opportunities. But first, I guess we should probably level set. And and for the, our audience who maybe doesn't know what Cran is, do you want to give us the quick... We, we actually had Jonah on here er, really early on nice. in the podcast, probably shortly after Pam. And I know it's evolved a little bit. Like my first my first experience with Cran was, geez, uh, 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 2015-ish maybe. And it was like an inspiration tool. And I remember being like, mm-hmm. oh, this is great. Like I can, we're redesigning our homepage. You know, it's easy to search and find other homepages in our space. Mm-hmm. And then like all the data that Crane was collecting by by doing that, like obviously you stumbled onto something else that was much more valuable, <laughs> which was competitive Intel. So do you want to just give us a quick rundown of, of who Crane is and maybe how that's evolved? Yeah. So uh, Crayon is a competitive insight software platform. Uh, we help you track, analyze, and act on everything happening in your market uh, so that you can run better marketing campaigns and enable your sales teams and set your product strategy. really helps everyone inside of the organization to get a better understanding of what's happening outside. 
Um, as you mentioned, that is not what we originally set out to do. Uh, early on, it was much more about um, helping marketers get uh, an understanding, yes, of what was happening outside of their business, what other companies were doing, but especially with their websites and designs of different pages. So we built this giant catalog of just millions of web page designs so that you could see different home pages and different pricing pages and product pages and whatnot. Uh, and we still have that product today. It's called Inspire. You can, uh, you know, get to it for free uh, from our site. And uh, what that incredible amount of data helped us do was realize, all right, there are actually some people who want to get a much deeper understanding of not just what the company's websites are looking like, but what are they doing overall on, on, online? Uh, what is that full digital footprint about a particular company beyond their website onto what their customers are saying on review sites or what they're syndicating to different content platforms and whatnot? And so we really took that initial uh, kind of data collection initiative to really blow that out and uh, track a company's complete digital footprint and then turn that into a competitive intelligence platform. So I'd imagine the audience has changed a bit then, right? Yes. Like, um, so w was it still heavily focused on the Inspire product when you joined? Or was uh, the it had already transitioned. So, oh, had, okay. uh, yeah, so I, early on, uh, early on in Crown's history, I actually met up with Jonah, uh, our CEO and, and founder, um, who also worked at HubSpot. So we stayed in touch and I kind of heard what they were doing. It sounded super interesting, but um, it was really early on. So it wasn't the right time for me to join. And that was when I uh, actually went to Toast for a couple of years. While I was at Toast, which is in the restaurant tech space, super competitive market, uh, so different from HubSpot, which is one of the things I was going for, just a completely different experience. And uh, through that, I actually had the pain that uh, Crayon addresses. <laughs> so we became a Crayon customer and uh, got to see the, the new competitive intelligence product in action and was using it with my team. Um, and so uh, we... We just uh, kind of fell in love with the product and was super excited about the team and um, ended up coming over when it was time for the company to scale that up. So we'd already seen a bunch of sales traction and it was time to bring in marketing. So it was the first marketing hire and uh, kind of uh, started to build it out from there. So you probably came in with a lot of ideas uh, yeah. when, when, you, when you have the pain point. It was similar for me at Databox when I was at Litmus, you know, I would present you know, I was in a growth role, so I would present, you know, our, our, our numbers and, and how certain tests were running and what mm -hmm. campaigns you're running and how that was. And I would never have an easy way to to get all this data from all these different places. And I, honestly, it would just it would it would it would frustrate the hell out of me. And it would make me sick before these meetings because I would have to yep. do all this prep and I was never sure if it was correct. And so, yeah, when when I chatted with Pete one day when he made the move from HubSpot, it was like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. you, that's that's like I need that. Um, so yeah, and I, I could, I could, uh, I could relate to, to coming in and having all these ideas because you were, I, I was your customer. I, I need this. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I love uh, being in that situation. Yeah, it's just the, that's, that's the way that you market a product where you have that firsthand experience right. with the pain and the solution. And, uh, it just, it makes it so much more fun to be able to, you know, talk to your peers and have that be both a marketing, uh, initiative as well as kind of building out your expertise and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, being able to contribute to the blog as someone who's been in those same shoes and is right. in those shoes every single day, getting to use our product every day. I just, I love being close to the product team and um, being able to interact with our product every day has definitely been a plus. 
yeah, it's a big learning experience for sure. Mm. Um, so who, who is Crans like ideal customer these days? Yeah, so uh, we a lot of our customers are in marketing, um, so product marketers, marketing leaders, and so on, um, as well as in the especially in the enterprise, uh, they'll have dedicated competitive strategy teams, competitive intelligence, market research, what have you, uh, and so uh, those are generally the the two big audiences that we uh, work with is kind of the product marketing or marketing leadership and um, and the CI, the competitive intelligence folks. So how have you? sort of gone about you talked about you know like identifying which channels work and and all those Mm -hmm. things how how have you got like what what is that like when you came in was that already established or was there some sort of Mm -hmm. experimentation how have you thought through that so it's definitely been an interesting transition i think for the companies uh so when i came in there a big portion of the marketing funnel was driven from our initial free product inspire which, uh, as you correctly noted, the audience for that is pretty different. So we had tons <laughs> of designers in our uh, <laughs> kind of engaging Product with us as free users. Marketers, yeah, yeah, it's like it wasn't really our audience. So there was a big push on my part early on to just start to shift that, so that we would be known less so as kind of a design-focused company and more about uh, you know competitive strategy, competitive insights type of platform. Um, so created a ton of content early on, um, just created a bunch of conversion opportunities that were different. So we had, it, it's such a funny situation to walk in and have just tens of thousands of leads that you can work with, but then realize that the majority of them are actually not who you want to talk to. What kind of information <laughs> did you have on them? So like, did you know what role they were in their company or was it uh, just one of those things where all you had was an email address? Um, in a lot of cases, we just had an email address, but, uh, you know, they could give us more information about their role and right. whatnot. And, you know, we had users all over the globe. We had users from all different size companies. Um, but a lot of them were more focused on like the design and marketing side, um, and not so much the product marketing or CI side. Um, so it's been, it was just kind of an interesting transition. We ultimately ended up ungating uh, that product. So that product used to be uh, something that you would sign up for. and It was free, but you you would give us your email address. We decided, you know what, this is a free tool. We love it. We want to maintain it, um, but we want to just open it up. So we opened up the floodgates and now you can access Inspire without being a user. And we put a lot of our marketing and product effort uh, towards the, the CI platform. Um, and so it was kind of just a funny combination of, we did have channels, but in a way we had to start from scratch, uh, with a right. lot of our channels. Um, so you, you had know, this asset, on. right. This, this, yeah. free, so yeah. do you still, does the team still maintain and update that the inspire tool? Yes. Yep. Does it drive um, and, a lot of like business or is it like you said, it's, it's all over the map, right? So a lot of ir- irrelevant mm-hmm. traffic too. Yeah, it's all over the map for sure. Um, yeah. So it drives a ton of traffic. Um, you know, I think that there's a SEO benefit of it. Sure. Uh, so even if you only pay attention to those numbers, uh, it's still worthwhile. Um, but it, we had this kind of personal attachment to it because we knew it was so uniquely valuable. Like there really isn't anything else like it. Just having a database, a catalog of uh, millions of designs that you can browse. Um, so I was I was an active user before I joined Crayon, um, an active user of Inspire from the early days. So, uh, yeah, as we, was I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I used it at an agency world. I used it at, at litmus. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, which I think was around the time when that trans, I, I, I started noticing that their sort of mission was, was changing mm-hmm. a bit. So that switch from, well, not switch, but you know, going from 
okay, we're, we're not design focused. It's more, like you said, product and, and CI. That's a, a big shift in positioning and messaging, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you, like, how did the team sort of think through that? Um, uh, that that's always challenging, right? Uh, because yep. people already have this image of what you are, mm-hmm. right? You're already sort of well-established. Um, I, I knew a lot of people using Inspire. So mm-hmm. that that's a tough, is that a tough sort of, uh, sort of positioning to break uh, in the market because people, like you said, you already had some traction, but mm-hmm. they thought of you as something else. Uh, so I guess like one, what went into that uh, exercise of, of trying to mm-hmm. sort of re-educate um, the market on who, who Cran was? Yeah. So one of the first things that we did, which was kind of a precursor to the messaging was develop our personas. Um, we may or may not have had personas beforehand. I actually um, uh, don't even remember uh, because they would have been irrelevant <laughs> kind of <laughs> once we made that pivot. Uh, so one of the first things I did was just develop our personas and did a bunch of interviews and uh, both internal and external and customers and non-customers and developed those and rolled those out internally because I think a big part of it was helping our employees first understand, all right, what is this market? How do we better understand the challenges of, of our key personas? Um, and so that was one of the, the first things right out of the gate. And then, you know, it, I've often taken this approach of much more of like an iterative uh, way of doing marketing. So it's not like we did kind of a big messaging overhaul and then, you know, launched it, released it. Um, we did do a product launch later on. Uh, that encompassed a lot of the things that we had learned. But leading up to that, um, we were kind of testing the waters. So started blogging uh, much more a mix of content uh, where we had always blogged much more about design content. We were doing much more of a mix of different like marketing strategy or product marketing and kind of different things that were closer to what we were uh, transitioning to. And through those early pieces, we learned a lot of ourselves in terms of our uh the way that we thought about the market. And then we also got a little bit of feedback from our customers and, and visitors to the site of just what was resonating, what wasn't. So that we, by the time we did want to do a bigger launch, we'd already gotten some, a good amount of feedback of where, where we should land. Right. Much uh, lower friction way to, to mm-hmm. uh, rather than go around the room and, and publish new web pages <laughs> and, and then worry about it. Right. Yeah. yeah the, the feedback loop is also much greater on, you know, things for, you know, further up the funnel content and mm-hmm. you, you hear about it much more than you do like your homepage. Yeah. Um, at least in my experience. Um, so how, how is your, how is your team structured or, or how is that? Were you, were you the first marketing hire at Cran? Yes. So the first marketing hire, I think one of the things I benefited from is, uh, especially in a company that has a marketing audience, a lot of people just kind of get it. And so, right. you know, Jonah, our CEO was, was handling a lot of that. He'd worked with a bunch of contractors too, uh, before I joined. So there were some things that were already kind of going. Um, but then I joined and, and took that over. Um, and since then it's been about two years. Uh, the team is now four people, mm-hmm. um, and continuing to grow. And we have kind of our, our core bases, <laughs> uh, covered. So, um, we've got a content marketer, we've got a demand gen marketer, we have a product marketer, and we have myself. So I fill in wherever needed. Um, <laughs> and uh, and next couple of folks are likely going to be scaling up our demand gen or scaling up our content. Right. Uh, a couple of areas that we've uh, we've definitely seen have been working well. 
Uh, yeah, that was my next thing. So, uh, so you have a content marketer and they primarily create content for your website. Is it mostly blog posts? Blog posts are definitely the bulk of it. Uh, we do have longer form content like eBooks and so on. Um, and we're, uh, also doing some external content, both contributions and then also getting external contributors for our blog. Nice. So the blog sounds like it's a, it's, it's, it's a big lever. Yes. It's just a nice hub for content, right? You can use it in a lot of different ways. It's just a nice home for it all. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough starting one up, but yeah, once it's, once it's, uh, gained traction and, Mm -hmm. and some of your posts start ranking and you kind of get that compound interest, it's, it's, (laughs) it's more, it's more rewarding. I think motivating for all the writers to see that, Mm -hmm. um, which, which I'm sure you, which is sure you guys see. Uh, so, uh, on the demand gen side, is it, is it like the classic, you know, creating premium content that aligns with the content that you're creating at the top of the funnel and pushing people towards that? Is that sort of like the model that Cran is working with? It's a mix. So, uh, we have found a lot of good traction, um, with, uh, certainly the top of the funnel content, but we're mm-hmm. trying to do, you know, things at every stage, um, and different types of channels too. So certainly growing our organic funnel, but also, um, paid partnerships, um, and then even, uh, kind of organic partnerships, uh, co-marketing, that sort of thing. So, um, kind of getting a lot of our different channels in place and then figuring out, all right, within those channels, what are the different offers that are getting uh, some good response? Um, we often, focus on our content because it's great educational content, great for opening up the top of the funnel. Um, but we're, we do have uh, another free tool called Intel Free, uh, which is uh, kind of a good middle of the funnel type of conversion. Um, of course, our demo and offering just uh, different types of consultations um, at the bottom of the funnel. Uh, we've had some pretty good traction promoting those through those different channels too. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. And you hit the inspired product at the top of the funnel too, which I'm sure drives a lot of traffic to the website. Yep. And, um, so yeah. Uh, and in terms of like when you're, when you're, you know, when you're looking to grow the team and you're making hires, what is your approach in terms of like what you're looking for? Because like mm. we were talking about earlier, the marketing mix of maybe, uh, in 2010 heavily focused on like written content. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you can, you can look for these hybrid marketers, ones that are comfortable being on camera mm. One or, or audio or that kind of thing. How do you, how have you sort of worked through that and, and what do you look for in a marketing hire? Yeah. So I think there are some things that I look for generally that are kind of a common thread uh, throughout a company's growth. Um, but then also at, like we're really early on, right? There are four of us in marketing today. And while we do have somewhat specific roles, everyone's helping with everything, right? So you, right, yeah. these early hires. I, I see your name. I see your byline on the blog. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm contributing to, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so everyone has to be at least a little bit of a generalist at this point. Yeah. Um, so I certainly look for people who are goal oriented and data driven. So uh, you can say, all right, we want to get X number of leads. And they're like, all right, I'll figure it out. And I'm going to make sure we get there because I'm driven to get there. Um, I think I also really look for someone who is, uh, curious and wants to learn and not coming in and saying, all right, what's your playbook? I'll just execute it. Like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, I want you to help us figure out the playbook right. and to, you know, get inspiration from other companies and to, um, you know, brainstorm new tests that we can run. And so someone who has that, um, that curiosity, uh, is definitely, um, a good fit. 
And then I think we were kind of touching on this with the kind of the video personality side of it. Just someone who's a strong content creator. At this phase, this is what that's what we need. Just someone who loves creating content in whatever form, whether it's written or video or what have you. It's just we need a lot of content at our stage. Um, so sure, our content marketers creating content, but really all of us, right? An email, a landing page, uh, collateral for the sales team. It's just like all of that is content. So um, good content skills is uh, definitely a must have. Right. It needs to transpose across multiple functions, mm-hmm. not just a blog. So is that is that like a big? Uh, so the, it sounds like a, you're you're kind of doing a little bit of everything. It, everyone on the team too. It could be blogs. That could be like you said, landing yeah. pages, sales collateral. Um, it kind of, it kind of changes depending on, uh, what the, what the current priorities are. Mm-hmm. Um, how has, how has like the, uh, you know, the focus on different channels or, you know, content demand gen, how has that, ha- or has that evolved as the company has matured over the last, so you've been there two years. So how, how has that sort of evolved or, or has it sort of been kind of the same focus mm. the whole time? Uh, it has changed. I think the other thing that happens in parallel with marketing growth is, uh, and marketing learnings is sales learnings. So, you know, early on, um, most of our focus on the sales side was in the mid market, but we started hiring reps who, you know, and early on the gates are open, right? Sales can basically sell to anyone. And, uh, I, I love that because you get, a lot of good feedback about which markets are actually responding and you learn things that you wouldn't necessarily have intentionally gone after. And so, um, we, we started seeing a lot of success in the enterprise. I was like, Oh, well, this is kind of interesting. We were kind of going after the mid market, but maybe we can do both. And, um, you know, fast forward to today, we actually have three teams. Uh, we have kind of a mid market and kind of a larger mid-market small enterprise and then very large strategic enterprise uh, teams on the sales side. And in as that kind of lesson was coming about, we uh, realized, all right, a lot of our marketing tactics were much more focused on the mid-market. And we had to shift some of those channels and say, all right, well, we do want to invest there too. But if we're going to try to attract the enterprise, we're going to need to do some different types of campaigns. Right, um, so playbook altogether. Yeah. Yeah. So we started doing some more events and even playing around with some traditional things like direct mail. <laughs> uh, it's like you're making a comeback. Um, and so, yeah, it's been interesting to, to think about, all right, not only how does our overall channel mix have to change, but what mix of channels and campaigns do we need to address these different types of markets? Have you, and that's funny, like the outbound stuff still works, right? You heard Ellie Mirren yeah. like on, on record here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, how, how much paid, like, any paid at like, you know, social or, or search or anything like that? Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it too. It's, um, uh, so yeah, we do that. I think it's one of the strategies that you can take, especially as an early stage company where you need short-term results and short-term growth right. in addition to setting yourself up for that long-term growth. So organic, much more of a long-term play, right? It's not going to be overnight that you suddenly get all of this great search traffic, uh, and conversions. So we've been, you know, laying the groundwork for that and growing that, but at the same time, supplementing that with a lot of, you know, paid sponsorships, email sponsorships, what have you, um, so that we can get the, you know, feed our sales team uh, today. Right. Well, what is the competitive Intel space like? Like in terms of, you know, um, the content you create, you know, uh, marketing for marketers is 
is is fun, you know, because I think yep. it, it, marketers are so receptive to this kind of thing. Well, I say receptive. It's because uh, they're so familiar with a lot of the levers um, and they're so active and, you know, trying new technologies. So like what what is that uh, what has that market been like compared to, say, you know, mm-hmm. your your days at HubSpot? Yeah. So, I mean, HubSpot was at this transition point in the marketing industry and really, I think, paving a new way. We have that for some of our, uh, so part of our uh, industry. So in some ways, this is a brand new industry. A lot of folks are getting into this for the first time and, you know, seeking out a lot of educational resources and playbooks and, and what have you. And then you also have a pretty old school industry that popped up probably in the 80s. Uh, that's when the CI industry first popped right. up, um, kind of coming out of the military. And uh, <laughs> it's this very old school way of thinking about research out in the field and um, and trying to collect uh, kind of a lot of opposition offline. research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so in, we those folks are, you know, that's much more in the enterprise uh, when they're actually investing in that sort of thing. Um, but even for them, there's this big transition now with so much data available on the web where kind of the classic CI research was much more about, um, you know, research groups and manual research going out there, trying to find all of this intel by talking to people. And now there's just an incredible amount of data about any given company online, what they're doing. You get so much insight from the smallest messaging change on their website can tell you so much about their strategy. And so that's just like a drop in the bucket of the amount of data that's available. So um, there's this kind of transition point, even for that set, uh, that part of the industry where, all right, how do we, how do we get you taking advantage of digital intelligence and digital data? And there's so much of it that you need. It's a whole other technological problem of making sense of all of it, finding the trends, finding the things that actually are insights out of all that data. Um, and so there's an education component for that part of the industry too. Um, so it's a lot of fun just to be part of uh, working with people who want to figure out what that, that next phase is. Um, I think that that's one of the things that gets me excited. It's like, all right, they're, they're excited about figuring out how to solve this problem for their companies. Um, there hasn't been a great solution before, and we can help them get there. It's a lot of content opportunities too within that because Absolutely. it's not a it's not going to be a crowded space. Yeah. How, so how, how do you like how does editorial work? Like how do you mm. do you work close with sales or support to determine here are the things that we're hearing about most often? But like you said, a lot of it is is also you're sort of educating so that you don't know mm-hmm. what you don't know, right? Your customers don't know what they don't know. So how do you <laughs> how do you guys like work through editorial? Yeah. So I try to get inspiration everywhere. And so that means like sitting in on sales calls, sitting in on customer calls, uh, customer interviews as well that the product team is doing. So everyone's talking to customers or and prospects in some way. So that's been great. Um, I honestly think that that's a little bit easier than saying, hey, salesperson, tell me the top <laughs> things that are coming up because it's hard to remember that, right? You're focused right. on the sale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not necessarily writing down content ideas for marketing. <laughs> Um, so we try to sit in on those calls or read transcripts or listen to recordings as much as possible. Honestly, events are, are a great source of, uh, inspiration right. too. just interacting with people in the market. Um, that's just fantastic. Um, and then, uh, kind of on the flip side of that, aside from kind of talking to people, there's search data, yeah. <laughs> there's just like actual data that you can look at to say, what are people searching for? And, um, those have been kind of 
the two biggest inputs is inspiration from talking to people or hearing them talk about their jobs. And then, hey, the people who are already seeking this out, what are the words that they're using? Right. And for us, help desk software is huge. Like mm-hmm. what a what a great tool that, yeah. you know, people that that type of information was harder to access, yep. you know, 10 or 15 years ago to be able to go in and just look at tickets and <laughs> yep. like how 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 little work that requires of, of somebody mm-hmm. on a marketing team. Right. Like sitting on calls is great. Like every time I've done that, uh, especially in my early days at Databox, I would sit down on sales calls just to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why don't you know? Why don't I do this every single day? Uh, <laughs> but looking through help desk software is is mm-hmm. is almost just as helpful in seeing how not only the questions people are asking, but then how your support team resolves them. Yep. I always found that that was like super inspiring and, and mm-hmm. good nuggets to find uh, content ideas. Um, so measurement and attribution. Uh, mm-hmm. This is something that I think can paralyze a lot of teams, um, uh, especially when it comes to experimentation uh right like attribution kills experimentation uh, you know in my experience a lot of cases so uh what's important for your team to measure uh Mm. and and maybe how has that evolved over time you know as Mm. the company has grown cran's taken some investment right like sometimes that has a tendency to shift priority to different areas Mm. so yeah what's what's important right now for for you and your team to measure and and how has that changed if if yeah I mean, I'm a big believer in keeping measurements simple. I think the more you complicate it, the more you muddy the waters in terms of what's actually happening. And you start making decisions based on, uh, you know, assumption laid on assumption laid on assumption, and you actually lose sight of what you're trying to solve for. Um, So even certainly at our stage, but I think even as companies and teams that I've been on have grown the the real focus has been on staying as close to revenue as possible. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily you're measuring every little campaign every single day based on revenue, like you're doing an A-B test on this landing page. How much revenue did that drive? Well, those things take time, sales cycle, et cetera. Um, so you can have metrics that lead to revenue and having a very clear path from you know, conversion on a landing page to ultimately driving revenues, I think is really important. Um, but having as few steps as possible to get there, uh, I think is really helpful for just keeping your, keeping your team focused, right? I think that there is definitely a threat of um, just getting so deep in the weeds of data analysis that you just spend yeah. all day long just do, looking at numbers uh, in 15 different ways. Um, but then you don't actually get to act on any of the insights that you're seeing. So um, yeah, nothing changes. Yeah. So we try to have really basic uh, kind of understanding of what are the different stages in our funnel, the key metrics that we want to look at. The number one metric that we measure against does change over time. You know, might be leads at one point or uh, marketing qualified leads at a different point or sales opportunities at a different point, just based on what we're trying to optimize for, what we think will have the biggest lever. But there are never that many steps that we're, we're, looking, we're looking at at a given time. Right. Uh, the right. other thing I'd say about that is um, I'm a big believer in having every single person on the team have access to that data and be responsible for measuring whatever they're working on. I've been in companies where sometimes they want to centralize that. And I think that there are certain things that can be centralized with data analysis. But I think that if you take data analysis out of a marketer's job, they no longer have um, full control over right. understanding what's working and what's not, and ultimately doing a better, uh, having a bigger impact. Yeah, and I think uh, it's 
it's understated, I think, in my experience at least, how much marketers and individual contributors, the people doing a lot of the work, want to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. And how, um, you know, like I was saying before, uh, Databox solved the problem that I had myself. Uh, sometimes it's hard to 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 uh, fi- like have that data to be able to give mm-hmm. your team easy access to because it might live in a bunch of different tools. And, you know, uh, or like you can give access, but it's like a spreadsheet and everybody, (laughs) everybody learns differently. Everybody interprets data differently and giving somebody a spreadsheet, I don't think is like access either. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I always found that, that whether it was like the email marketing manager or a Mm -hmm. content marketer, they wanted to see, they wanted to connect the dots to see how their work was influencing the overall goals of the company. So when they were in a, a, a team meeting and we were talking about, you know, the goals that were hit, they felt ownership of that. And I think, I think in a lot of cases like that, that part is understated. Like, oh, individuals, they just want, they just want to do the work. You know, they, they don't want to be bogged down by numbers. And uh, I think, like you said, giving them that access and allowing them to analyze the data themselves can, can only do good things. Yeah. Um, and people, you know, people really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's been my experience. Um, so yeah, where do you see, uh, where, where do you see your, your focus maybe changing or not over the mm. next 12 months at, mm. at, at Cran? Like what are, where, where are the big opportunities for you right now? And, and maybe how, how, you know, how do you plan to grow your team? What is the next 12 months going to look like for the marketing team at Cran? Yeah, I think we've, uh, we've definitely hit on a bunch of areas that we're seeing some success in. And so the biggest thing in the short to medium term is scaling those up. So content's working great for us, yeah. uh, you know, all the different iterations of that. So the SEO side of it, the co-marketing side of it, all of those are are doing great for us. So scaling those up, bringing on folks to help us actually get there. <laughs> uh, we're, we have an amazing team, but we are a lean team. Um, so how getting big, some more folks. How big is uh, the, whole, the whole company? Uh, company right now is probably 70 or 80 people. So, wow, okay. And the marketing uh, team is four. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so. we're a little behind. <laughs> Sales is just blowing up and just yeah. crazy. And so uh, we have to play a little bit of catch up. Well, hey, if you're, uh, if you're meeting that demand right now, then hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed with the team. It's you're like, doing too good of a job. Yeah. <laughs> how, how aligned are is, is marketing and sales? Uh, Very aligned. I mean, one of the biggest things I've looked at, looked for when I've joined a company has been that sales leadership and making sure that we are on the same page about how our teams can work together. The fact that we are on the same team right. and uh, and that we have a mutual respect for each other um, that has gone a long way. And I, you know, Dave Donlin, uh, who re- leads our our sales organization here, uh, we work together at HubSpot, so right. I already knew that we would be on the same page in that way. Um, and it's just been fantastic. We're just, uh, when you act like you are on the same team and have goals that are aligned with each other, it just makes everything easier. And it's never about, you know, the blame game. It's always about, all right, we both want to solve for this. How are we going to get there? And we both give feedback to each other and we brainstorm together. Um, and now that it's extended to our sales and marketing leadership, uh, you know, management level as well. Right. Yeah, it helps having people that you've worked with before. You you know yeah. each other's working styles. Although, as we were saying before, it's got to be hard in Boston tech these days to go work somewhere where you're not running into a former HubSpotter. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, how many it's of them great. run companies now? Like, that's always a fun gum- game to play is how many of them. That is for sure. <laughs> how many are CEOs? Uh, I mean, that, that's a great testament, too, to the, to, the, to the leadership that HubSpot, you know, created and fostered over the years, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see how many people have went and found the companies and our leadership C-level positions like like you are. So 
Uh, Ellie, it's always great to catch up with you. I always love chatting with you. I've always been a big fan since way back in the HubSpot <laughs> days. Uh, but yeah, Cranzy and exciting things. It's it's fun to watch. I, I do read your bylines whenever I see you tweet them. <laughs> uh, because I think people that have been doing this for a long time, I'm always curious to see like how... how um, <laughs> You know how you're approaching it and things like that so it's always fun to, to to watch and see the things that you guys are doing nice thank you so much this was a lot of fun i'm so glad that we got to catch up finally Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.